0: Welcome to another podcast of Redemption Tempe. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and today it is yet another treat. I am joined by Ricardo Stewart and Josh Butler. Hello. What's going on? Hey, good to see you guys. I can see you, but they can't see you. Uh, You two are both pastors here as well. Let's just give me like a really quick rundown in the off chance that someone just started going to our church and just picked up on this podcast. Just tell me a little bit about yourselves. I like to do that a couple times a year.
1: Well, I'm Ricardo Stewart, and my role here at the church is I am the lead pastor, and so that consists of doing the bulk of the preaching and setting vision and leading staff amongst other other things. And yeah, I'm married. I've been married for almost 12 years, and we have two boys. We have an older son who's 10 and a younger son who's, who's eight. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And uh, I am Josh, the pastor of teaching and direction. So we actually moved here this last year, about nine months ago, and it's been awesome jumping in, uh, helping uh, oversee some of the staff and contribute to just sort of where we're heading as a church and trying to bring some teaching and some about 15 years of ministry experience uh, back home before this and helping to kind of bring that to the table. Uh, my wife, Holly, and I have been married for 12 years and three kids, uh, loving life here in Tempe.
0: Awesome. Thanks guys. Yeah. So So today I wanted to do all the things. I want us to talk about everything, basically. This podcast is coming out, if you're listening to it the day that it comes out, it is Easter. So happy Easter, he is risen. You Mm. almost, Ricardo, I saw you almost responded. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Um, So happy Easter to you guys. Hopefully uh, you are either in the midst of hanging out with family and and spending time with friends, uh, or you did that on Easter if you're listening to this later. But I wanted us to start, with um, sort of tying a bow on Love Walked Among Us, that series, into Easter and talk a little bit about Good Friday and Easter. And then this next Sunday, we're going to start a five-week series on the book of Jonah. So I want us to sort of talk about what the hopes are, how we hope that God meets us as a church community through that series. So Starting off, Love Walked Among Us, give me some of your guys' thoughts. How do you feel like it went? Uh, What were some of the highlights in particular from that series for you guys?
2: I know for me, it was one of my favorite series that we've been through at Redemption, just because it's one of the only series that I've I was heard gonna before. say. I
0: <laughs> I wasn't sure if you are joking. I'm like, haven't you only been through like two?
2: Yeah, no, I've loved all the series we've done, but man, it was really powerful for me. I think being able to slow down often when I'm reading the Gospels, I think we all have a tendency to kind of fly through and just sort of go, okay, what's the main takeaway for this story or this parable or this thing and taking the time to really slow down and watch Jesus in action and to see how he interacts with people what would it be like to be in their shoes and there was just something really formative about finding yourself encountering Jesus himself afresh in the story and i think another piece takeaway for me was you've got all these different facets to christ's character you know i think we can kind of uh, almost reduce him to just being the warm and fuzzy or the shepherd, or whatever it is. But you see Christ angry. You see Christ confronting sin. You see him with compassion. You see him uh, upholding the law. And then you see him showing grace for those who fall fallen short. You see all these different facets and seeing all of these are arising from the simplicity of who he is, though his character, you know, there's this diverse complexity to the simplicity of who God is. And it's all, driven by the love of God in Christ. So I feel like in some ways it's seeing Jesus afresh, but in other ways it was seeing love afresh, like often like this reduced fluffy vision that we often have of love in our culture, seeing how robustly diverse and multifaceted the love of God is when it shows up in the messiness and brokenness of our lives and our world. Agreed.
0: Ricardo, how about you?
1: Yeah, um, I just think that I was blessed by the series and um, just teaching it. And not just the teaching of it, per se, but the preparing. And what Josh mentioned about the slowing down and seeing Jesus, the, the thing that was just overwhelmingly refreshing to me was that I'm very impressed with Jesus. And I know that's like the understatement of the universe. But mm-hmm. um, when you are around um, church for as long now as I have been and, and in ministry as long as I have been, you can get used to things and get used to teaching things, whether it be his miracles, whether it be his parables, or whether it be just different nuances about Christ, but then to slow down and watch him love, to watch how he looks at people and his looking leads to compassion. Just his ability to just be him and just to be absolutely convinced, steady, and loved in his position as being the father's son. It It was very impressive. And so I was thankful for it, and I, again, I'm just really impressed. And the phrase that kept coming to my mind is, "Is he's really that good?"
2: Mm, he's really that good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, one other piece I think is, I think it confronted how we often, I think, approach scripture or whatever we approach the Bible is like, what kind of things can I learn? And not that that's not important. I mean, that's a, a piece. But I feel like in this series, you couldn't get away. With only that, you know, like it was deeper than just what kind of things can I learn? It was constantly confronting us with what kind of person am I, and am I becoming? Mm-hmm. You know, and almost that spiritual formation piece. And through the lens of who Christ is and how he wants to form me with his very person, this love that walked among us, what does it look like now? As God's love takes root in our lives and shapes us in his image. Absolutely.
0: Let me ask you guys this. What do you think was a challenging part of this series that stood out to you as we went through it? Um, Maybe just for our church or for you personally, something that was challenging about this series. And then what are you you hopeful that we as Redemption Church Tempe will take away from the series theme or point or, you know, whatever, uh, sort of an overly generalized version of that. So first of all, what was something that was challenging through this series?
1: Looking at yourself... Um, through the lens of the person of Jesus, when you see that Jesus somehow can be totally okay with, with just loving the one who's in, in front of him or helping the one who's in front of them, as opposed to trying to help everybody. And that may be something more particular to me that my tendency would be to try to help the many. And, and it sometimes could be very, um, quick or hurried rushed as opposed to help the few and to be able to go deeper. That, that was super challenging um the other the other thing that was challenging for me was just the um the simplicity of christ and and his dependence upon his father. And when we think about following Jesus, maybe we think about knowing a lot about Jesus. That's the approach that Josh is talking about the scripture. Just let me just know about Jesus. If I get more information, then I'll, I'll actually follow him. Um, we think about spirituality, but usually it becomes um, overly mystic. And I'm not saying that mystic is all, mysticism is always a, just a negative thing, but our spirituality is actually rooted in flesh and blood. And that was a challenge for me to realize that the simplicity of Christ should be the simplicity of my life and yet my life doesn't seem anything close to 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 being something that that simple and i've actually been on this in this body longer than jesus was in his body <laughs> considering the fact that he was 33 when he died and mm. and i'm older than 33
2: how old? <laughs> older <laughs> than 30. 33 <laughs> <laughs> i'm 36 and a half <laughs> 36
0: and 3 quarters
2: <laughs> yeah you know on my end uh, one of the challenging things like in a good way was just confronting a fresh but kind of from some fresh angles like how this is god in the flesh you know like yeah. the um i think there's this common perception in our culture that you've got like the god of the old testament he's kind of big and distant and scary whatever and then you've got jesus comes along and he's really nice and changes you know and this series something about it in me was really uh challenging that Presumption, which I didn't necessarily have intellectually or whatever, but I think we all kind of have culturally today. And that was, it seemed like every story or passage, particularly the ones that um, I was kind of lined up to preach on, that theme just kept on standing out. So whether it was the woman caught in adultery, I think the common sense of, oh, Jesus says, ah, uh, that was Old Testament law, but now I'm about grace and going, no, he doesn't lower the bar. He raises the bar and goes through the Old Testament law to actually get to grace. You know, um, Jesus identifying himself with the water from the rock in uh, the wilderness, he, these constant themes where he's identifying himself with and as the God of the Old Testament, God in the flesh, showing him amongst his people, elevating the story of the Bible as a whole and seeing himself as its fulfillment and climax, it was just like, dude, this is this big Jesus, <laughs> you know? And so kind of that theme of like Jesus is bigger than I think we tend to think. And he's better than we tend to think, you know, as Ricardo was saying earlier that on the positive end was kind of, I think the big theme takeaway. So yeah, I guess maybe the, some of like the challenge was seeing that Jesus is bigger than we tend to think, I think. And the encouraging theme was also that Jesus is better.
1: Yeah, I think um, to your second question, um, takeaway is, you know, we have we have a friend who pastors a church out in Portland um, called Bridgetown. His name's John, John Mark Comer. And one of the things they do at the church, they call practicing practice in the ways of Jesus. And there's different ways in which they do it. But I just think that phrase of practice in the ways of Jesus is something I would say is a takeaway. As we look at how he looks, let's look like him in the power of the Spirit. And as he loves, let's love like him in the power of the Spirit. And I keep saying the power of the Spirit because it's not just a mimicking. Mm -hmm. It is a being around and allowing His life and His love that we receive through the resurrection, which we're going to talk about here. Like, we have that power in us as believers. And so now how do we step in community to love people in the ways that Jesus loved?
0: Yeah, Josh, what about you? What would be your hopes uh, in terms of takeaway from this series?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, takeaway one is just kind of that, man, Jesus is better, I would have thought. But the other is that spiritual formation theme and emphasis. And I've actually lately kind of been using the language of spirit formation rather than spiritual formation. Like, both are good, you know, but often I think sometimes today when we talk about spiritual formation, we tend to think of, again, it's these practices where God's kind of dissonant out there. So I'm going to do these spiritual formation practices in order to get God to show up or make myself more spiritual or do whatever. And I think the heart of spiritual formation is actually going, you know, these are – practices or postures or things that we do that actually are you know the desire is to be formed by the spirit of god himself to be shaped by the presence of god and as we were walking through this series i think just going this is the love of god walking among us in flesh as jesus and he still walks among us today like he's presence in the power present in the power of his spirit And how do we try was saying how do we not only see the way that he sees, but now as his life takes root in us, how do we see as he sees, like being formed by his spirit as his people to be that presence of the love of God.
0: Yeah, and and I love how we uh, went from Love Walked Among Us um, right into Good Friday, Easter, Easter week, you know, all of that. Um, And it kind of mimics, you know, how how the story of the world went. Right. Um, and then we have uh, the church and acts forming uh, and and we are on mission and we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. So if we're talking, then rolling this into Good Friday and Easter, um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, so context here of, of the question that I'm going to ask is I think that we, uh, when I say we, I mean sort of like big C church. You're seeing a lot more, um, practice of the Lenten season. We did it here 40 days or Lent where you're really reflecting and you're going to the cross with Jesus and you're praying that God would, um, help you die to yourself and, and live more through his spirit. Um, I think what we, what we see and what we were talking about earlier before we started recording is, uh, again, we as in the big C church. So, uh, we as a church, um, globally, uh, or at least in the US, I can't speak outside of the country, kind of bookend that season with Easter, and then we sort of move on until Advent. Um, and that's not how it's been historically uh in, in the church. So talk to me a little bit about that and and even just like the hope and the celebration that is Easter and and what that calls us to um spiritually as we celebrate and and move on after This Easter Sunday?
2: Yeah, you know, we do tend to have like these around 40 days of Christmas, anticipating the birth of Christ, around 40 days of Lent, anticipating the cross and all. Um, But man, historically, Easter was not just a day. We tend to then just hit Easter is just like one day and then, okay, let's move on. But historically, Easter was a season, you know, and, and I believe still can be for us today a season of celebration. So if Lent was about fasting in some ways then Easter is about feasting and celebration and rejoicing in the victory of what Christ has done. Uh, one of the things I'm missing this year uh, was I've got a buddy, John, who every year on uh, the night before Easter, uh, we would roast a lamb over a spit in his backyard. So we'd have about 15 of us guys who come around and every hour would be reading passages or readings around like the resurrection of Christ and all. And as that we're watching this lamb that's been, life has been given, kind of being roasted and prepared. But then the next day after church on Easter Sunday, through a huge barbecue, feast, potluck. Everyone brings food and we all and invite believers, non-believers, like everyone, like there's usually about 40, 50 people from around the neighborhood, from our church, from beyond who come and bring uh, wine and side dishes and whatever. But we gather together to feast on the life of the lamb you know, and I think that's for me, this image of what the resurrection season is about, like as a community of the community of Christ, that we actually have a season where we're invited to come and feast on the life of the lamb and celebrate what he's given and actually experience and celebrate the new life that that's brought to us and what that means for the world. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to me too, what we were talking about earlier that you've got this theme of love walking among us in the last years, we're looking intently on the life of Christ, and now the reality is, though, is that love walks among us today. I think that's what Easter celebrates—like that love didn't die; you know, didn't end in the grave. Like it actually came through the grave and out the other side, bringing new life to the world, and that Jesus wants to live His life through us as His people today, offering resurrection and life and power to the world in and through us as His people.
0: Yeah. So, Ricardo, uh, you and I had this somewhat of this sort of conversation a year or so ago. Maybe it was around Advent. Maybe it was around Lent. But um, I kind of feel like maybe this is just Western Christianity. I don't know. But we are pretty good at being solemn, but I don't see a lot of just celebrating who God is and just being excited and and maybe this is some of the the more charismatic in me coming out on Sundays and you've got specifically at the 11 a shout out to that front crew who is responsive <laughs> yes. and they are like the best cheerleaders um and I am hearing more celebratory responses even on Sundays you know during music and during preaching and all of that but talk to me about the celebration as Christians that we are offered to enter into specifically through Easter, but even in like Advent season. I mean, these are celebrations that we get to to partake in.
1: Yeah, these are these are a part of the church calendar that that followers of Christ have been have been like rejoicing and celebrating in for for years. Um, I do think that we're celebratory as the people of God, even in the West. I, I just think that our cultural expression of celebration <laughs> and the demographics that is at redemption. <laughs> Is not as celebratory as maybe some other demographics out yeah. of the churches, and so sometimes with especially a younger generation, um, and that that is predominantly white, you know, there is a sense that like sometimes the only emotion that could be expressed that is authentic because that is a definite cry for our our generation. The only that that authentic emotion usually is sadness, and so we do well with maybe Good Friday and the cross because it's like yes, like it's broken, it's sad, life's not good, it's not always great. And a lot of these younger Christians are reacting against maybe a happy, clappy environment that just said everything was great when it always wasn't. Sure. Ironically, if you think about uh, most uh, minority churches, people of color churches, like their celebration always, even if those congregations are in communities, not always, but even if they are in communities that um, don't have as much or are... Going through things of poverty or just the different realities that they're going through, there's a sense when they gather, it's like this is the time to gather and to celebrate. Um, historically, African Americans have been like leaders in this because the moment for African Americans to be together, usually without an owner was the church. And that happened during the time of slavery. And so there just became this moment of like, here's our moment. Now, sometimes there would be slave owners there um, in the services, but for the most part, it was a place of power and of dignity and time to like just let loose and all of those things were because of Jesus. And they believed in this Jesus who actually sl- deliver them because as they learned to read and they told the stories of the Exodus over the Passover lamb, like God is a deliverer. So when we now as a people of God hear that during Advent we're awaiting a new creation. Like we're awaiting a true hope that is that is set in the reality of Jesus's birth, his life, his teachings, his ascension, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and him sending the spirit. Like there's there's much to celebrate. When we gather around Easter, now what we see is that resurrecting power that is the healing balm, the renewing power, the vibranium, dare I say, <laughs> to the renewing of the whole world. It's been released and it's unleashed. Through the resurrection and it's at work now, so when you look at the Bible, oftentimes we are like, "How come we don't see?" And then fill in the blank, some sort of miracle. The crazy thing, if you look at the Bible and you go, "When is the time when the Spirit has been at most at work?" It's been since the resurrection until now. It's like His time to shine and showing us the love of the Father and the work of Jesus. And so there just has to be celebration now to the group of people who you who you <laughs> give a shout out to the eleven o'clock service. The eleven o'clock service definitely has more of a responsive tone. And I would be lying if I said, you know what, it doesn't affect my preaching. And the same way that when you work out and you're the only person in the gym and there's no music, it's a way different workout if there's a lot of people and those people happen to be cheering you on and the music's loud, and you're like, yes, I could do more. This is better. So it, there is a sense of celebrating what God has done and what God is doing collectively as a body that is just, it's a gift.
2: Totally. Just to piggyback on that too, like, dude, it's interesting. The uh, When I just think internationally as well, anecdotally in my own experience, the places sometimes where I've experienced the deepest, richest, most robust, kind of most exuberant celebration of Jesus in the gospel have often been in places where there's the most suffering, you know, mm-hmm. which feels ironic because sometimes yeah. I do think today in our culture we can tend to associate celebratory with happy, clappy, superficial, whatever. And it's like, no, dude, often it's like, it's been in that slum in Cambodia over and over again, where just like dude the richness of people's vibrant you know so it seems like this irony that often places that are more affluent we have a harder time at times seems to be more expressive because we're suspicious of it and there could be some of that that's cultural of so that's whatever but there's something powerful to me that there's been something powerful to me in recognizing that like celebratory doesn't mean you're avoiding the pain like oftentimes people who are able to celebrate the strongest are those who recognize the pain that's in them or that's around them and are able to worship God in the midst of it, you know? Another piece, too, is uh, what Carl was just saying there, too. Like, I do think you read in the Psalms, and there's this expression, you know, raise your hands, shout to the Lord, those kind of things. And we often, I think, focus in the circles I'm in, I think, on the vertical dimension of worship and praise and so you know, like us with God, which is true. But you also see this kind of horizontal dimension in the Psalms as a worship book where they're declaring to one another, declare the greatness of God. You know, like they're actually calling each other to lift up their eyes to the king, you know? And, and I think there's something powerful in that where when we see, whether we're talking about our gathering together on a Sunday or scattered th- together throughout the week, like that power of that a posture of worship is not only about our relationship with God, but it also draws in, like our inviting to one another to look at Jesus, he's great, you know, to, to respond together when we see things or hear things about the goodness of god and what he's doing it's it's not only allowed it's actually appropriate that we would call each other to that together
0: awesome what's ironic there is a difference between sadness and lamenting and there's a difference on the flip side between happiness and joy and so you know these slums in cambodia the the churches in in america that were historically like filled with with people in in the bounds of slavery they understood at their core being the difference of like finding joy in the Lord and lamenting to the Lord, as opposed to just not to downplay sadness or happiness. They're good things, they're emotions God gave us. But I feel like we have to draw that out here. I mean, cause we have this weekend of good Friday and Easter where we're experiencing both of those things in very short succession here. And those are really important as followers of Jesus to be able to push into and to be able to express. And so I think those are really important because it can be really easy in our cultural climate to become comfortable. There's sort of an insulation that can happen within comfort that can at least neutralize or deaden us to lamenting to God and celebrating the work of God.
1: Yeah, I want to I want to start first with the, and, and if it's going down a rabbit trail, why don't you guys go ahead and stop it? I mean, I want to start first with the the sadness part is, I think that while we're okay with like that being a raw emotion and it's acceptable as opposed to like happy clappy, I don't think we all we we really know how to express our sadness and our grief. And I think in some ways it's interesting being around a few people that they're learning that myself and myself included. When it comes to lament, lament is actually the expression of that sadness. And usually lament is something that Mm -hmm. uh, is, is corporate. You know, it's not always. I mean, we see Jeremiah himself in the book of Lamentation lamenting. We see Jesus himself lamenting like Jeremiah over, over the city. And they're lamenting over, like, the brokenness that sin has created. And there is something about being able to do that. And even the same the same songs like that and to feel it corporately. I, I think lament worship services are needed because in the same way that I would sit down with, pastoral residents and I would teach them how to preach a sermon, that they practice on how to preach. That's something that is needed and we work on it. We practice it. I think if we're not good at lamenting, it's something we actually need to practice. And that may sound like, well, that's not authentic. And it's like, no, because you haven't been trained, you haven't been taught. And if it's truly that more things are caught than taught, then we got to keep doing it. And so that it's caught. Likewise, when it comes to joy and celebration in the midst of whatever is going on, I think that needs to be practiced as well. I mean, that's why I think I've loved these Lent worship nights and and would hope to see us do more mm-hmm. prayer and worship nights throughout the year so that we become not a people of, uh, excuse me, people who have worship events or prayer events, but we become a people of worship, a people of prayer, a people of lament, a people who understand our own personal brokenness and corporate brokenness mm-hmm. and who believe in a God who is good enough who believes in a God who said on the cross, it is finished, who believes in a God who says, I'm coming back again, post his resurrection. So there's a lot to be uh, joyful about in the midst of all those things.
2: Yeah. And I think as well, sometimes we mistakenly, like we think of lament and celebration as opposites against one another, Well, I think in reality they're intertwined with one another, right? So when you, in lament, when you recognize the depths of the pain and the brokenness and the need within yourself and around yourself, like you rejoice in the God who has come to meet that need you know and and is present with you and it, it seems like almost like the image in my head is like lament is recognizing the spaces that the pain of this world has carved out in our lives and around us and celebration is experiencing the water of the spirit that fills and refreshes and cools and is present to us in those places and it's like if you don't recognize the pain then you're probably not really gonna i think that's where the superficial happy clappy comes in you know it's like it's like you're trying to celebrate in a sense that ignores the pain that's there but on the flip side i think our danger in our context is more the opposite where there's sort of two kinds of sadness in our culture so there's there's our cultural sadness is one that's kind of cynical it's it's a cynical sadness it just goes there's almost a religiosity around um in our culture around like dude if you're really get it then you see how bad the world is and you just kind of get depressed by that reality and you get kind of cynical and jaded to the world and it's just kind of this inward looking ah, oh, the world sucks sadness right but i don't think that's biblical sad- like biblical sadness is the sadness of lament not of cynicism it's not one of woe is me it's one of bringing the pain of the world and petition before god and when you do that like the lamenting one man i think that's like the base upon which like real celebration comes, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I don't think that was actually a rabbit trail uh, after all. I think it was really needed um, in general as we um, are in the celebratory season of of Jesus rising again. I want to wrap us up here. Starting next Sunday, we're going to be jumping into the book of Jonah and it's, Four chapters, but we're doing five weeks. I don't want to sort of give it all away, but I am really excited about the podcasts during this time. Assuming that the stars continue to align, we will be basically just hearing God stories. This is a really big thing within redemption as a whole. Uh, you might have seen some videos that we've posted. All the congregations have been posting of just hearing these God stories. That's how we spend a lot of our time when we do our big redemption staff, leader, pastor meetups where we just hear about how God's moving in the midst presently in our different congregations. So I wanted us to hear some God stories that sort of go along with the themes that we'll be talking about each week in the book of Jonah. So that will be really good. Looking forward to that. But for this particular series, what are your guys' hopes Again, uh, similar to what we were talking about at the very beginning of today's podcast with Love Walked Among Us. What are your hopes for in terms of takeaways or or connections? Well,
1: first, I'm looking forward to teaching something from the Old Testament. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Hopes would be seeing the character of God. So much of Jonah is about Jonah being in this fish. The book in itself is so much of God's character. His like unrelenting leaning into mercy. And being merciful and gracious towards towards broken and people and sinners. I just I really want us to be able to see that and then all on and also see how Jonah points to Jesus and how actually the book of Jonah could be good news. Um, not just to the people of Nineveh, but to the people of Tempe and Gilbert, and Mesa, and Chandler, Arcadia, and, and downtown Phoenix and everywhere else around here. And the good news even honestly Tucson might be Nineveh and you know what? And so God, God might, God might have to send somebody in a fish to get the Tucson and tell them to repent and believe.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally, man. I, 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 I love Jonah, the book of Jonah. Like it's the gospel. Like Jonah is the gospel. And one of the things I'm most excited about is I do think hopefully reclaiming it from most of us. I think we think of Jonah and we think of, this children's storybook thing you know where it's like guy gets swallowed by a fish and god's powerful he brings him out of the fish but that's not the point of the story as regardless that's two verses or whatever when jonah gets swallowed by the fish like in this much bigger four chapters and there's so much there that's so rich and i think being able to dive into it themes like being called to go to your enemies and even being called to go to those who man like like, not just, like, I'm against them, they're against me, but, like, dude, they've they've crushed or wounded you, you know? And what does that look like? How, how do you do that healthy? I, I think it's, like, when Jesus calls us to love our enemies, it becomes this, like, massive story that invites us into how hard that can really be and what that actually looks like, you know? And the power of this God who can take the people we've written off, this empire that's filled with idolatry and rejection of God and brutal violence, when you see how gnarly Assyria was in the ancient world and yet God's extravagant mercy that is for their redemption you know you you kind of go dude this is like the North Korea of the day right you know like God is for the the people that we would have written off you know and the places we would have written off and how that challenges and confronts us on a heart level and in terms of how we live as a church I'm excited jump into that it's gonna be good
0: me too i am really looking forward to that series we'll be starting it again this next sunday so we are looking forward to that uh yeah we went even a little bit longer today but we had some really good stuff we covered a lot of ground so that will conclude our time welcome pick up the book of jonah start reading it yep start reading it now uh read through that first chapter at least and uh we will see you guys next sunday Uh, for another podcast and another Sunday at Redemption Church Tempe. So we are looking forward to seeing you then. Uh, This has been another podcast of Redemption Church Tempe, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus.
1: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church, and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church by tapping the connect button on our app, we would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast at RedemptionAZ.com.
2: Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week.